Hi, everybody. David Noor. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Service Council in-service podcast series. We're delighted you're here. We're live on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter for, I think it will be a really interesting conversation. My guest today is Manuel Khan, founder and CEO of Field Nation. Manuel, welcome. Good morning, Noor. Good to be with you. It's great to have you. For our audience who may not know as much about you, would you kindly start with your background, kind of where you've been, what you've done, and how you arrived here? Sure. Um, so my name is Mainul Khan, as, as Noor uh, just mentioned. I'm the founder and CEO of Field Nation. Um, you know, I started this company about 15 years ago. It's actually 15 years this March, so one more month to go. Uh, big milestone. And... Uh, you know, just for the a little background about Fuel Nation, it's a it's an online marketplace, the largest fuel services network uh, that connects about ten thousand businesses uh, with about hundred thousand uh, technicians and engineers in the field. Um, you know, the best way to think about it is that if companies um, need large distributed uh, uh, workforce, uh, they can access the Fuel Nation marketplace to uh, find technicians. Uh, deploy them in the field and manage the end-to-end work uh, workflow through the system. How about your personal background? Kind of uh, education, kind of professional pedigree. How did you arrive to the Field Nation business model? Yeah, so a little bit about my personal background. You know, I am originally from Bangladesh. Uh, you know, I, uh, now I live here in Minnesota. You, you just right before you started podcasting uh, live, we were talking about the temperature, it's uh, below 20 here. Uh, but, you know, when I was growing up in Bangladesh, it's a tropical place, uh, you know, never saw snow in my life. So I, I ended up in Minnesota for my college, uh, you know, about 20 some years ago. And, um, and uh, after graduation, I took a job with a startup where I happened to be, you know, maybe fourth or the fifth employee that's kind of where I got the entrepreneurial bug in me. I love the whole process of, you know, building something from the ground, the uncertainty of, is it, is it going to fit the market need? Are we going to survive, <laughs> you know, next, next month, next year? Uh, and then ultimately seeing, you know, how the product gets the market traction, how the team continues to grow, uh, the success that comes uh, with it. Uh, it's just really fulfilling. So I started my company, uh, you know, about 15 years ago, uh, with that, uh, with, with that kind of the inspiration that I got from well, the other con- company. Congratulations on the tenure, because it's it's uh, we're celebrating 20 years of our business this year, and it's just not that easy to kind of get beyond the first few. And you're right, it's a it's a constant challenge to think about survival, and and not only the challenges and opportunities you see, but certainly the ones you don't see. That's right. So, well, congrats, congrats to you, Nor. It's a big milestone, 20 years. I keep telling my kids I used to have a lot you know, more hair. It's just, <laughs> um, so let's talk about the marketplace, because I got to tell you, when I first heard you talk about the Field Nation business model, you don't necessarily think of marketplaces in the field service technician space. We know you know, you know, eBay and we know Airbnb and we know Uber and these all bring kind of seekers and solvers together. I want to start and I want to get into the Field Nation uh, business model more in a second, but let's talk about the overarching talent challenge. Uh, Manu, you and I talked about between the great resignation and the silver tsunami of aging 
uh, technical skills kind of retiring and not enough apprentices and those coming into the space. You and I talked to a lot of field service, customer service, customer experience leaders who are really struggling with the whole talent agenda. Talk a little about the talent shortage, the talent challenges at the moment in the market. Yeah, well, this is the headline for for last several uh, quarters, right? The labor shortage in the U.S. I was reading an article. Um, uh, it talked about Goldman Sachs uh, reporting that 3.5 million um, uh, people left the workforce in last, uh, you know, several months. And one, 1. 1.5 of that 3.5 uh, took early retirement and 1 million people had a normal retirement. So you can think of that 3.5, 2.5 is probably not coming back in the workforce. So whether it's the, you know, uh, support technicians or field technicians or uh, receptionist, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's painful for every business uh, right now going through. Now, I think it's even more acutely painful for field service space. And the reason for that, even before this great resignation, there was something we called the silver tsunami, which refers to the aging workforce leaving uh, the field services space. If you think about it, Noor, um, there was a great boom of uh, tech space, you know, uh, 15, uh, 20 years ago, where most of the vast majority of field technicians joined uh, the workforce 15, 20 years ago. And that uh, population is now leaving the workforce. If you think about, you know, I think there's something like 40, 50% of field technicians are over 50 years old. And so ultimately, you know, they're gradually leaving the workforce and, and keeping a huge void uh, in the field services space. Um, and and that's, a, that's a big challenge in this space. And, and, and contributing to that silver tsunami is that we're not bringing enough young people into the space. We're not making it as exciting, interesting, letting them see the opportunities. So if you don't have as much fresh kind of blood coming in as, as the older generation, whether it's boom or X decides to retire, we're not backfilling that. So you're also struggling with the whole apprentice model where you're not attached to that older, wiser technician to teach you how to do some of these things. That's exactly right. I mean, we're not attracting new people. Um, if you if you look at it, there is like, I think there is a close to a million uh, job opening in the IT space just in the US, right? Um, and if you if you look at the, the average wage, it's pretty attractive. However, uh, this is not an area that we are promoting uh, and attracting uh, new people. I think there is an opportunity here, though, mm -hmm. to train, provide training um, uh, to new, new, uh, new, uh, you know, new students, new uh, graduates, uh, and also upskilling, upskilling uh, people from the different industries. Uh, cross-training people from the same industries, looking for complementary skills and the backgrounds and stuff like that. So there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, to do uh, to to close that 
close that gap that you're seeing. As you and I talked about, and I, I would encourage, by the way, our audience, feel free to jump in uh, questions around talent, around talent agenda, and, and really access to field technicians and service technicians. Uh, Manuel, the, the pandemic obviously has also created just an exasperated the issue because now you've got, yeah. you know, vaccine policies. And this is not a political statement, but those that for whatever reason don't want to or can't get vaccinated now, clients don't want them in their facilities. And it just creates extra pressure on that available talent pool. It did. I, I mean, that's part of the part of the reason, you know, you see that a lot of people are not coming back because they're probably either you know, the vaccine policy making it a little bit harder or or some people are just not feeling safe enough uh, yet, right? And we just uh, going through this surge, looks like it's coming down a little bit. Hopefully it continues. Uh, but a lot of people on the sideline because uh, they're not feeling safe to come back to the workforce yet. Sheila's got a great comment. Yeah, Service Council, by the way, does a ton of research and they, I would, for our audience, I would highly recommend that voice of the field technician is a great, great piece of research. So she says uh, the research shows that 60% of FSCs, field service engineers, in the 25 to 44 age demographic don't plan to be a field service engineer for the duration of the career. Again, that leaves a void that you're not really benefiting from their tenure. You're not benefiting from them being on the job and knowing the company and knowing its nuances and the product kind of longevity. That's exactly right. But the good news here is that, you know, although they may not be in the full time uh, in, in, a, in a job, but they're not completely, a lot of early retirees, guess what? They're not just sitting and uh, drinking margaritas all day, right? <laughs> I mean, they want to do something and they want the flexibility. If you ask people, the people that are in our marketplace, the number one thing that they appreciate the most is flexibility uh, and them being in the control of their uh, livelihood, when they want to work, where they want to work, you know, how much they want to charge and stuff like that. So a lot of retirees are picking up this, uh, on-demand, uh, uh, you know, career where they can work as much they want to work uh, and and not more than, you know, what they don't want to work for. I, I love that because that's also one of the biggest, you know, benefits or reasons you get from your Uber drivers of, you know, why are you doing this? And they all have a side hustle or they, you know, if they're older, you're like, you know what, I can work as many hours or a few hours I want when I want, which is sounds like a, one of the attributes of a marketplace. So, Let's talk about that. What are the alternatives? So I'm a technology company. We're standing up data centers. We're standing up. I, I need to, or I'm a you know financial services company, and we got to roll out a whole bunch of ATMs across the country, and I only have so many available technicians. Talk to me about alternatives. So there are quite a few alternatives out there. So that's that's why I think that the, although that uh, from the surface the situation looks really dire, really. Uh, you know, uh, uh, feels like we, how are we going to ever overcome this challenge? But I think there are many ways to do that. First of all, we are seeing a lot of companies bringing back their retirees, even part-time uh, fashion, right? We are seeing uh, the uh, aging workforce, they're bringing them back from the field to the uh, support center and provide remote support in the field with the uh, smart hands. We are seeing... Uh, you know, cross-training uh, and upskilling, 
right? Uh, so there's a lot of things people are getting more creative about what, what can be done. Uh, but we're also seeing a huge tailwind in, in the on-demand workforce model. You know, this, this mentality that to get my job done, I need, um, you know, uh, W-2 full-time technicians on the bench, uh, that's shifting. And that is shifting even faster with the, you know, the economic crisis, the COVID crisis, like, hey, my revenue is now more volatile and my cost structure also need to be more flexible. And rather than having fixed cost labor, can I look at on-demand labor, you know, um, so I can flex up and flex down when I need to. And I love that we see, go ahead. No, I was going to say I love that and, and I appreciate Gail, uh, Cece, which, uh, by the way, as our last last uh, episode's guest, brilliant on the mental health space, jumping in, freedom with time and location is the new wealth, right? That's right. I, I rather, I think I've learned from the pandemic, I'd rather spend time with my kids or my grandkids versus working 70, 80 hour weeks. I don't want to do that again. So that seems to fit really nicely with this on-demand model. So, so Nord, let me give you an example. I met one of our technician um, about six months ago, uh, and he's from Arizona. And he sent me a note uh, saying that, hey, look, I was laid off twice during COVID. And then I was introduced to uh, a, a platform like Phil Nation. And now not only I'm surviving, I'm thriving. And I'm actually, I, I actually have a business where I, uh, I recruited bunch of people and train them and getting the work from platform like Field Nation and I'm expanding beyond Arizona, uh, my state line. And I'm never going back to the, the, my previous uh, career. This is my new, new career uh, as a businessman. This is really, really fulfilling for me uh, to see how Field Nation is uh, kind of uh, nurturing new, uh, new generation of entrepreneurs. So, so talk more about that. Uh, what are some of the, if you think of the state of the field service market, talk about some of the challenges, talk about some of the opportunities. Yeah. So let me start with some of the challenges. Uh, no, there's a lot of challenges right now uh, with the inflation, um, you know, the, the cost of labor going up. You know, we hear from our customers, uh, the W-2, the fixed uh, labor uh, salaries are going up, you know, you know somewhere 20% or even more. Uh, even contract labor is also going up. We can see that in our marketplace, labor cost is, you know, going up at about 10, 15% in many areas. Um, the, the, the equipment cost is, is growing pretty rapidly because of the inflation again. But then this supply chain thing that we've been hearing for last, you know, uh, 12, 18, 24 months, although it's easing, it seems like it's easing, but um, I have been on the call with many of our customers and they said projects still keep getting pushed uh, back because um, they haven't received all the uh, equipments and parts and materials and stuff like that. So supply chain continue to be a, a big issue. So th those are few few challenges. However, there is a lot of uh, bright side in the in the field service. First of all, um, retail, for example, the, just the retail field service. Retail for the first time is growing. You know, there's an article 
on Wall Street that talked about uh, since this is the first last year was the first year since 2017, the in-store retail is actually growing. The footprint is retail footprint, physical footprint is growing. Uh, many, many, you know, even on the companies that started as online first is now saying we need more localized uh, brand presence, right? And so we are seeing that, and that comes with a lot of technology need because today's stores are not your store from you know 10, 20 years ago. There's a ton of technology getting deployed in in the in the store. For example, self checkout for customer experience, right? The, the the technology is getting deployed to bring the customer experience as the number one priority for the retailers. Mm. Self checkout is getting deployed. Uh, you know. The, the network connectivity in the store is just, uh, you know, uh, amazing uh, nowadays. Uh, if you go through, uh, you know, it seems like during the COVID, every Quicksar restaurant uh, quickly changed their, um, you know, strategy from in-store uh, in dining uh, to drive-through, right? Every store now has drive-through. So they're, you know, deploying, uh, you know, digital menu boards and, and all sorts of stuff. So there is a ton of, a uh, ton of, the uh, uh, technology getting deployed, fiber optics, uh, uh, you know, 5G uh, network, uh, and the, the list goes on and on. And that creates opportunity uh, for the field service providers. And and it and the challenges on the other hand, you know, how are you going to find the technicians? How are you going to um, train them? Uh, can you get the equipment, uh, the supply chain problems, you know, solved and, and yeah. that sort of stuff? You're you're exactly right. So, a, I'm reminded of of Amazon that that's been so successful in putting a lot of traditional brick and mortars out of business, opening up their own brick and mortar stores. That's and right. I recently went into one where you can see the products, you can scan the products, but you use your Amazon app and it gets shipped to you. So you don't, you don't have to take it with you if you don't want. You can just have a drop ship, but you're exactly right. They're from the digital menus to the, I was at a uh, at a at a gathering recently where there was mobile ATMs. I, I mean, even ATMs and a lot of those things are becoming. Let's go where the customers are. Let's go where they want to interact with our brand, with our value, and uh, and all of those means somebody's got to install it, somebody's got to maintain it, somebody's got to deliver parts to it. So it, uh, it it absolutely shows a lot of potential for that. John Carroll's jumping in. Personally speaking, the brick and mortars in-person experience, my channel preference. I don't like to buy until I can I can try it. Call me old school. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of mud more people like that 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 kind of touch and feel. I can't call Amazon or go see somebody down the street at Amazon. And and uh, and I think increasingly you're going to need to create that multi-channel, omni-channel experience. Um, let's switch gears to the whole marketplace and the network business model. Can you talk about this overview? Give us an overview of this Field Nation model. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so Field Nation, um, let, let's take a half a step back. I, I think the marketplace models are, are very, we are all in last five years, we all at a personal level, as a consumer level, we all become very familiar with it. From Uber to Grubhub, uh, to Airbnb and, and so forth. Uh, but Field Nation is slightly different, although underlying uh, business model is still network model, a marketplace uh, type of model. However, it's an enterprise uh, business solution. And so, so let me explain what I mean by that. So we have 
uh, over 100,000 technicians and engineers uh, that are uh, contractors. And uh, so that kind of creates a, a sort of a marketplace network uh, in our platform, right? But on top of the platform uh, on marketplace, we built a very robust workflow system that allows our customers that are enterprises uh, to come and deliver fuel services at scale, uh, whether 100 jobs or thousands, uh, tens of thousands of jobs um, in the field and do it at scale, do it at speed, right? Um, so in our software, we created all, uh, you know, a workflow management from the you know planning stage to engagement and engaging the right technician in the field, getting their uh, collaterals and deliverables back and all the way to the back office support for example, whether you pay one technician or 10,000 technicians, our system can automate the whole process, insurance management, uh, risk, uh, all the risks are actually mitigated through Field Nation. All the, so you don't have to uh, chase and track uh, tens of thousands of technicians, insurance, uh, that sort of stuff. And then at the end of the year, uh, we also process all the tax forms and and uh, that sort of stuff. So we take care of all the back office. I, I, I well. love what it sounds like. It sounds to be a, a complete kind of an end-to-end -end solutions. But let me make sure I understand. So your buyer is that uh, digital display in the retail or quick service restaurant, either either the, the restaurant brand themselves or it's the tech company that goes and installs those in. They need to install those in a, in a thousand restaurants. So That's do right. I come into Field Nation and and request? I guess uh, uh, I, need, I need a thousand technicians to go to these locations and install this for me. Is that kind of how? That, that's the that's exactly right. That that's a high level concept. Like you come to Field Nation platform, and you identifier you identify your uh, you kind of give us your requirements, the locations, um, you know what skill sets, certifications, training, etc. Uh, your schedule and all that kind of stuff. And then our system will go match who is the, you know, the closest technician who has the skill set to do this job and the prior history of doing this job, who matches the budget that you're offering, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then it'll make the connection. And then, uh, you know, the whole engagement will go through the system. Uh, we can obviously tie back into the customer systems and integration standpoint and so forth. A couple of the attributes of other marketplaces you and I are aware of, right? So if you think of Airbnb, if you think of any of the other ones, is the rating. Do you have any kind of a rating system for the technicians and or the companies that you bring together? Absolutely. I mean, that's uh, at the at the at the heart of a marketplace is the trust. I call the the Craigslist. Craigslist is the first generation marketplace. I always ask people, like, would you go get a babysitter from Craigslist? And the answer would be absolutely not. However, you, me, and you know, other people would be comfortable uh, staying at a stranger's, uh, you know, place at the Airbnb or taking a, a car from a stranger uh, through uh, Uber. And the big and the reason uh, is because there is trust built into this system, because in this new generation of marketplaces the entire transaction goes through the system mm. where Craigslist, you get a name and then the whole transaction happen off platform. You don't have a feedback loop, uh, you know, did, you know, how was the transaction, right? But our system captures everything. Uh, what type of job, what kind of skill sets, and when the job is done, 
did the job get done uh, accurately uh, on time, on budget and stuff like that. So we capture all this feedback and that creates a really robust trust system in the system in the platform we've got a comment from gail another deterrent for techs is the added responsibilities around administrative elements right their role in technology and processing service orders parts orders etc many techs don't like that they don't really love technology technology skills and technical skills engage different parts of the brain they're not necessarily equal levels of the skills for the tech so as i understand you also take care of the, all the administrative stuff that uh, gail nailed it uh the techs they're passionate to do the job right they just they just know how to do it they want to do the job they don't want to go and send an invoice and wait for 90 days and you know whatever all gets done automatically through the system yeah. they don't have to send an additional invoice they don't have to wait to get paid if there is an accident if there is a mishap happens we take care of that uh, so it just lets them focus on what they really do best, which it is seems getting like, the job done. It, it seems like you're removing the friction. You're removing the friction or the added, you know, pain in the rear parts that that are goes with. Let's get a qualified technician on site to install that. And like my long distance calls, have it be uneventful. It gets right. done. It gets done right, and both sides are happy. Is that accurate? That's absolutely right. I mean, it sounds like you just read our. Uh, mission statement, which is breaking down the barriers to work so we can unleash opportunities. And that's kind of how Field Nation got started. We keep looking at the friction point, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, how do I know the technician insur insurance or how do I know the background check uh, is, is uh, you know, recent? Um, how do I know that I'm going to get paid? So we, these are all friction points, right? Mm -hmm. So we keep looking at friction points and we keep bringing back uh, whether it's a, a technology solution or the service solution to make sure that those friction goes away as the engagement happens between two parties. So I get the benefits from, because again, the, the gig economy, like I said, has been around for a while. And I think more increasingly, more people have gotten used to it. And what I love about this is not just graphic designers or you know other people, it's actually coming into more technical. I love what you're doing is you're you're adding this opportunity and this freedom to a much broader, highly skilled labor. Um, John has a couple of great questions. Do independent contractors think differently, more commercial, less customer centric than W2 or full-time engineers? That's one. Uh, one of the concerns we continuously hear product centric OEMs is maintaining of the brand experience. So Uber doesn't have, the driver doesn't show up with a uh, a, a branded shirt. A lot of times my service technicians do. Talk about how do you ensure that customer centricity, not just yeah. the way they show up, but the way they carry themselves, the way they deliver that service kind of continues to uphold those brand values by the OEMs. So let me first, uh, th this is a great question, John. And let me first take that, the, the attitude of an independent contractors. And then we'll talk about how the OEMs can create a brand centric experience um, with the on-demand contractors. So the attitude for independent contractors is very different. Their livelihood depends on this. This is, they're running a business. And, uh, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, sense of accountability and responsibility and, and especially for, you know, for platform like Fuel Nation, if you burn a bridge with one customer, that's on your profile forever. Yeah. And the profile is your storefront. You don't want that, right? 
So we see a tremendous sense of accountability and responsibility from the independent contractors because they take the pride, this is their business and their brand, their reputation in the marketplace. So they take it very, very seriously. Uh, <clears throat> the second part to, to uh, John's question is that how can OEMs create uh, a brand centricity with the on-demand workers? Look, I think there is a misconception that only the W2 full-time technician can represent my brand and how it's impossible to do with on-demand contractors. And it's not true at all. So what we do with, with our customers through the platform is that, you know, the companies, the customers can create a sub-network of vetted and curated uh, talent pool. And that talent pool becomes their go-to network. So, Noor, for example, if you are if you are my guy in Atlanta, let's say, let's pretend scenario play here for a little bit. I'm a company and I need a technician, and Noor is my guy in Atlanta. Now, through Field Nation platform, I vetted and I recruited you and I put you on my uh, certified list. Now there is a uh, uh, sense of loyalty and commitment between us. Next time I have a job in Atlanta, guess who is getting this job? Nor is getting this job. Who has done work for me before, who gone through my certification and credentialing process and stuff like that. And, and you are representing my brand as well as anybody else. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of time we also see, you know, our, our technicians are, you know, carrying uh, customer branded, uh, you know, materials. Uh, to represent themselves they go represent our customers brand they don't represent themselves uh or field nation uh, field nation is just an enabler but the, when the technicians is on site they're representing our customers brand yeah john john and i have had a couple of conversations on this it's like us using freelance you know video people or graphic designers or anything else once they do a good job for you you kind of select them and you you put a hard you add them to your favorites and they become right. your go-to people because you know you, they're now become a known entity you know the quality of the work you know their responsiveness their communication ultimately their ability to kind of deliver that so we've got a uh, follow-up question i appreciate everybody jumping in we got from dale young seems that emerging technologies like new mobile platforms augmented reality would help reduce some of the administrative work how do emerging technologies impact recruiting and retention of those field service technicians? So it's a great question. We, we're seeing that a lot of complex work um, that needed a uh, kind of your own bench technician to go do the job. Now you can have those experienced people in your remote support center and give uh, a smart hand, technical savvy, but may not have the, the the person may not have the specific brand experience exactly that equipment that they're performing. But you can you know with the mobile augmented reality software now the experienced person from the back office support center can guide the smart hand tech how to do the job. And so I think what so so to answer Dale's question, what I think where where the industry is going is that you have your superstar, super deep knowledge technicians in your support center. And then you have a broad base of technician generalist in the field that you can get, you know, uh, on your own or a platform like Fuel Nation. And you're enabling very complex work uh, through the augmented reality softwares. 
Dale, I answered another executive around this similar topic, and I said, "What you're doing is you're you, you know cloning humans is not legal yet, <laughs> but what you're doing is you're cloning their knowledge and That's their right. wisdom and their experiences." Exactly what Manuel mentioned is I can have a, a a whole lot of technical depth at a central location that then remotely allows uh, those that just have maybe less experience to the technology be able to do increasingly more sophisticated work, which becomes invaluable. And by the way, that's also where labor arbitrage comes from. That's also where scale, breadth and depth comes from. That's so exactly right. Uh, Manuel, I, I I love the 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 field nation. I love the the marketplace idea and and the concept. But there's got to be some challenges. Talk about some of the challenges, some of the obstacles to a broader set of buyers embracing this kind of a marketplace approach. Look, we uh, we started during uh, during Great Recession in 2008, mm. and um, and that was a really interesting time because um, any crisis brings an awareness inside an enterprise, like, "Hey, we should probably try something new," uh, you know, to you know overcome that crisis, economic crisis that we have. And then we are seeing, you know, during this, you know, uh, the COVID crisis that created in 2020, also uh, a wave of larger enterprises saying, "We need to do. We need to look at." how can we do things better, faster, and cheaper? Mm. So I think the, the biggest challenge for enterprises is that it's a paradigm shift, nor it's, it, you know, the concept itself is not a rocket science, right? Uh, anybody would understand this seems like a better way to do it, uh, you know, field service work. But it's a paradigm shift for enterprises how they need to reconfigure their internal infrastructure and adapt to a new model. How you onboard, train, retain a full-time workforce and how you do that with on-demand workforce are very different. Mm. But your internal infrastructure, your internal knowledge base know how to do that with full-time techs or maybe outsourcing it to a, you know, another entity. But then how do you, how do you go from there to how do you, you know, access a, a labor pool of tens or hundred thousand techs and how do you curate that network? How do you build relationship with them? How do you create this brand awareness with them? Uh, you know, that that's a paradigm shift. It's a transformation and it takes time. Any kind of uh, paradigm shift and transformation is going to threaten the status quo. Do you believe particularly this talent or labor marketplace challenges the assumptions and assertions by a lot of the traditional functions like hr like onboarding like if i'm doing that inside a company recruiting then i don't i don't necessarily you know with your environment i feel redundant within the organization does does that does that talk a little about that redundancy talk a little about that intersection of what traditional talent human labor functions do in an organization versus a marketplace concept? Yeah, there is always a, a big change always brings the creative distraction, right? So there is always that, which is good. There's nothing, you take the resource that was doing something and now there's a better way to do it. And then you redeploy that resource to do something even more meaningful, more mm -hmm. impactful for your business. Um, 
and it, it's happening even in, a, in our universe uh, because the the functions that were that were built uh, to identify tags and manage tags and stuff like that now the platform like Phil Nation is kind of making it you know easier and cheaper and faster and uh, and that layer of function whether these are businesses or whether there's an internal function they need to now, add more value to on top of what they were doing before or reconfigure uh, their function completely. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, but that, that, that's definitely happening to some degree. For our, for our audience, if you join us uh, late, you're listening to Manuel Khan, founder and CEO of Field Nation. They've built a, a fascinating marketplace for field technicians, service technicians. Uh, and it sounds like they're, they're certainly thriving in this uh, current labor shortage uh, market we're all in. Talk about Field Nation's growth opportunities. As you mentioned, retail is growing. Uh, You've got, you know, even our home, we bought uh, not only a generator that needs to be serviced, right? But you also have got a media cabinet. And and even at an enterprise level, increasingly we're seeing more technology in a lot of different outlets that we all visit. From my car wash to my dry cleaners to now the automated menu in my restaurants and those all have to be serviced somehow talk about the growth opportunities for you yeah that's a really uh, great question nor you know i i when we do onboarding of our new employees i need to create a picture of how big is the landscape and i tell you know if there's a technician coming to your house and uh doing hvac work uh, or you're going to a, a, a restaurant and if you see uh, audio video and, uh, you know, drive through or whatever, there is technology there and there is a technician there uh, to install, maintain and break fix. So opportunity for us is massive. Um, we are very focused right now in IT and telecom. Uh, but as we think, you know, three years, five years down the road, uh, we see opportunities for, uh, you know, market segment expansion. And we routinely get inquiries from, you know, leaders from other market, other industries coming and saying, hey, we think we need something like Fuel Nation in our space. Mm. Um, we routinely get, uh, you know, inquiries from other parts of the world. We're very focused in North America's today. Uh, people uh, from other parts of the world would say, this is something we need in this part of the world. Um, so I think there's an opportunity for us to, you know, uh, um, you know expand our, uh, our, uh, adjacencies geographically and uh, segment wise. But also, you know, one of the things that we are maniacally focused is that the customers that we are serving, what other value uh, added uh, product and services we can add, like you mentioned, Noor, you know, uh, we we are in the business of removing friction. Mm. So anytime we see friction, that's really interesting to us because we think that we can add uh, a product, a feature, a service that uh, eliminates that friction and unlocks value for our users. Uh, I want to build on that because, uh, again, most of us didn't imagine getting in a car with a stranger until we figured out how horrible the taxi experience was. And we all got a lot more comfortable with Uber. And once they build that that core to the platform of transportation, then they had an opportunity to expand. There's Uber Eats, and, and this was, which is a big part of the growth business. And now they're investing in autonomous vehicles and so on and so forth. So talk about, are, are there platform expansion, extension opportunities when and beyond 
I, I hear you about different market agency, agency, agencies. Uh, what else could you do with something like this that brings field technicians with kind of those OEM brands that need them out deployed? Yeah, there, there are a few things that, that, that we're looking at. You know, one of the things that we see as a challenge for many of our customers is that they have many different labor pool and, uh, and it's all fragmented. Uh, and, and it's the management of fragmented labor pool. When you have a, a project, you need one single uh, pane of glass. And uh, so we have an opportunity to make that uh, for our customers where we can actually really simplify how they're managing blended workforce. We are not, one of the concept node that we promote is not that you get rid of your fixed cost labor because that's not the that's not the solution. The solution really is to take advantage of what's the best uh, blend of labor wherever you can get it, mm. and there is no one solution that fits uh, to all your need. And so this blended workforce is a concept that we uh, have been talking about, and making that uh, management process really simple and easy. I think there's an opportunity there. We also see you know. Uh, uh, every week we are attracting close to 1,000 technicians signing up on our platform and they're signing up to get jobs from the Field Nation marketplace. But these technicians, they're basically, when they sign up with Field Nation, they're starting a business. Mm. They're entrepreneurs. I think there's an opportunity for us to make their whole business management experience simple and easy uh, and really, really uh, effective for them. It, it reminds me of eBay that gave a lot of mom and pops a much broader audience because they were able to create eBay stores and and same thing with Amazon stores that it could be a person out of their house, but you've built a platform to again bring seekers and solvers together. Um, John, uh, we we mentioned that Service Council voice of the field technician research. John Carroll's jumping in. I love this right from the 2021 voice of field service engineers. Number one, you know, dislikes, paperwork and administrative tasks. That's right. <laughs> Two, pressure to work faster, right, from management or customers. Listen, I don't need you to take six weeks. I need this done in six hours. And then time finding information. Where is this? How can I get access to it? Where's the latest diagram that shows this configuration, so on and so forth. Talk briefly about how you address those three within your platform. Yeah, so the the first one, the paperwork and administrative work, we just really make it simple uh, through our workflow. Uh, so there is no additional paperwork for our technicians uh, outside of a work order. And it's really uh, self-pacing. It, it just kind of prompts them to do the next thing. And it all combines uh, in one place. So they don't have to go separately invoice invoice them when the job is done. No, when the job is done, you close it out right there in the, from your app, mobile app. Mm -hmm. And when you close it out, that automatically creates an invoice uh, to the customers. And then you don't have to wait. We push the payment out to you, right? Um, uh, so that's, that's the first part, paperwork and administrative. Technicians and engineers don't like it. You and I talked about it, nor they're passionate to get the job done. They're good at it. They want to spend all their time doing that. And also, this is where they, they generate money. Paperwork and administration, that's a that's taking up all their bandwidth, which is their inventory uh, that they're selling, right? The time is their inventory. Um, the, the second part, pressure to work faster. Now, this is where 
the independent contractors, they're in charge of their business and they're accepting the job that they think that they can get it done uh, within their schedule, within, within, the, within the calendar that they have. So that, this is the thing I was talking about, the, our, our independent contractors, not just our independent contractor, I think independent contractors in general, they value, the number one thing that they value is the flexibility. I want to work when I want to work, where I want to work, and whoever I want to work for. The ultimate freedom brings them happiness. And it sounds like what I like about your environment is is I'm thinking alternatives, right? Could I put out an ad? Could I go hire contract technicians myself? Yes. Talk about a headache and a half. I, I would have to go do all the background checks and all the verification of their skills and their availability. And you really are bringing seekers and solvers together. You really are bringing, I have this need. Who do you have from your pool of available technicians that can go do this? So Kudos to you for for uh, for making this work. We've got a follow up. Dale wants to make sure he gets his money's worth from this session. So Dale's got a follow up question. Speaking of blended workforce, I saw an article that stated only nine percent of FSTs are women. How does Field Nation recruit and enable a more diverse talent set? Great question. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, it's a great question, Dale. You know, unfortunately, uh, there's not not a lot of women. Uh, in the field service space. Um, however, I can tell you some of the women that we have in our marketplace, they're outstanding. Uh, their background, their, uh, their work uh, ethics, uh, their experience uh, that they're providing to the customers, they're top notch. And we are, we are really, really proud to showcase them uh, to our customers. Uh, and and uh, we celebrate their success as well. You know, just a, uh, just a, as a as an example, a uh, couple of weeks ago in our executive Slack channel, uh, one of our team member, uh, you know, found an amazing technician who happens to be a woman, and we were just talking about her background, how he start, how she started her business, and how successful she is. Uh, you know, so so there is definitely a lot of celebration uh, within Field Nation for the women that are uh, that are part of our network and community. For both uh, Dale and uh, Manuel, uh, I was talking to uh, a woman executive in the uh, security, cybersecurity, and and uh, security space. And there's a actually a nonprofit I think called girls security or something that that shows young women all the opportunities for them in that space and it sounds like field technicians and field service is another one that could benefit from again introducing the next generations of look there's path there's opportunities for you to get access and see and grow through the process um Manuel, in our last few minutes together i really want to talk about the, the life of an entrepreneur it sounds like that bug bit you very early on and and uh, and as you and I talked about, we both have spent a number of years in our own in our own businesses. Talk about the startup challenges. Talk about uh, you know a lot of our past guests have been you know really successful senior executives of these marquee brands who are in essence would be your buyers, but a lot of them aren't startups. A lot of them don't have to worry about borrowing from credit cards to meet payroll or how do I make sure we have the right people on the team on a. And certainly a smaller scale. Talk about startup challenges. Yeah. 
So my God, it's been, it's uh, 15 years ago. I, I can reflect some of those things that, you know, I had to go through and I'm, I know all the entrepreneurs go through the craziness and all you probably did as well. It's a, the, but the first thing is that how much conviction do you have in the mission of the business? Nothing is more important than that. Uh, you know, not even money, not even people, other people, because if you don't have the conviction, nothing really matters. Mm. Uh, nobody will believe in you. Uh, and, and, and more importantly, you're not going to be, you're going to go through so many ups and downs. You're not going to have the stamina to stay on course. So conviction is the number one thing. The second is, you know, do you, do you, do you have a compelling story uh, to tell and get other people to join uh, the mission. Look, I started with no money, so I didn't have uh, uh, I didn't have the luxury to um, attract people uh, with you know amazing qualification and say, hey, I'm gonna pay you uh, the market rate and all that kind of stuff. Right? <laughs> I had to go find I call them missionaries who really believed in what I believed in, you know, and and join the mission of Fuel Nation. And so, uh, but people matters, right? People matters no matter at what scale, whether you're a two-man show or uh, 2,000 people company, people matters tremendously. Your growth will be limiting if you don't able, if you're not able to attract right people. Uh, so that's, yeah, a, that's, a, that's the second thing. And the third thing is that, you know, don't run out of money. <laughs> you know, uh, you're gonna need money. Uh, I uh, I got lucky. I bootstrapped my company all the way uh, until we are uh, institutionally funded. Uh, after seven or eight years later, at that time the company was, um, you know, scaling and growing and profitable and all that kind of stuff. And that's a good position to be to raise money. I don't encourage people to go raise money day one. I say bootstrap uh, and uh, and get to a point where you are in control of. Uh, raising money you're not giving up control of your vision and your dream and you can pick and choose who you want to do business with uh, and have your partner as for, for our audience edification i I, uh, I come from the private equity world and spent six years you know buying and selling a hundred you know different companies there's no shortage of capital as a matter That's of fact right. there's some 96 billion with a b sitting on the sidelines right now looking for good deals to invest in so capital isn't it. Uh, it really is. I love that. The conviction, the compelling story. And I love that. Attracting missionaries to come to come do this with you. Uh, Manuel, I think you would also agree as the company scales, you need different skill sets. You need different capabilities. You need a different DNA. Early on, you need the scrappy, resourceful. But at some point, you need processes. And you need that discipline of documentation and, and really acting like a, a bigger, more mature type organization. Talk about some of the scaling up challenges you've gone through. Yeah. Um, so so every stage is different and you're going to need different skill set and different types of people. I said, you know, in the beginning, you need missionaries. And then as you start to scale up, you need mercenaries who are specialists, right? <laughs> Generalists in the beginning and then, you know, specialists you know, as you start to scale your business. You know, one of the things that I, I do for myself I start the year asking myself, am I ready to be the CEO of this company? Because I am, you know, Fuel Nation is a high growth company. Every year, the company looks very different than the last year. New set of challenges, new set of people. 
uh, new set of business opportunities. And so I asked myself, uh, this is the first year of being CEO of this stage company, you know, and am I ready for it? What are the new challenges that, that I anticipate and how should I prepare for myself for this, uh, this, uh, this type of stuff? But, but, but again, you know, not a lot of people are, you know, not a lot of entrepreneurs are excited to go through the journey and there is nothing wrong with it. You know, if you think you are a, you know, startup guy and you want to kind of keep doing it again and again, serial entrepreneur, uh, that's awesome. And you just keep doing it again. I happen to love the whole journey. I like to, you know, I love to grow a company as, as big and as great as I can. And, and, uh, and I want to stay on the course uh, mm -hmm. in the growing, but then that comes with the challenge of, I don't know. I don't know that what, what I should be doing the next stage. So I got to retrain myself every 12 months with a new set of challenges and opportunities. I, that I often, I often coach uh, leaders and entrepreneurs alike. Uh, there's a fundamental difference. Confidence says, I know a lot, but there's still a lot that I can learn. Arrogance says, I know a lot, but there's nothing new I can learn. <laughs> and as and there's a fine line between them, right? As long as yeah. you you want to be a confident entrepreneur, right? By the same token, the, the day you don't believe you can learn and grow through that process uh, might be the day you should go do something else because That's I think exactly. everybody's going to see that. Um, talk about, obviously, talent is fundamental and core to your business model, but it's also critical to the success of Field Nation as a company. How do you, what do you look for in building the team? What do you look for in, uh evolving elevating the team and candidly when someone is not a right fit well how do you approach that subject yeah great 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 question nor <laughs> it's all about people right you know at every stage you know uh if you don't have the right people you're not going to the next stage that's how simple this is it doesn't matter how good your strategy is how great of a market you're in if you don't have the right people it's, it's not going to happen. Uh, so for me, um, obviously there, you know, you, there's some, you know, black and white, does the person have the skill set for the, the role the person is going to run and stuff like that. That's probably a more simpler uh, uh, matchmaking and, you know, measurable stuff, but there is more than that, which is the, the intangible the cultural fit that I look for, the attitude of, can we figure this thing out? I say, you know, I don't want people who come with experience and box themselves with that. Like, I don't have, like you said, I know everything. I don't have to change. No, every company, every journey is different. Can you adopt? Can you figure it out? Can you figure out the journey that we're in, the challenge we're facing? Mm -hmm. Can you figure this out? The problem-solving attitude, the resiliency is important to me. The humility is important to me because if you don't, if you, the people that don't have humility in my mind, they're very close-minded, and that's a problem uh, in many ways because you're not open to learning, and you're not also open to collaborating with other people. So attitude is really, really important when I look for people. The other thing that I found, and I'd welcome your comment on this, for years we built packages that we shoved people into. I think this pandemic has woken most of us up of go find the talent and create a package that fits them. 
So whether it's someone uh, that you know wants to work part-time or someone that wants to focus on a specialized skill, and if you want that talent, go create an environment that they want to be a part of and go create a package or a, or a, a role that, that fits them and fits their lifestyle. Because I think, again, a lot of people have learned the days of old school, 80-hour weeks are long gone. I want to actually have a life. I want to be able to enjoy. Uh, and as Gail and others have jumped in, you know, money to fuel my life, not work so I can you know, be, at, right. be at work all the time. Right? I really love this concept that you have, you know, find the talent and then create the package. You know, I, I you know, when I do interviews and, and you know, people from different states will ask, like, how often do I need to come to the office and, and stuff like that? I'm like, I just need to find the right person. And if I find the right person, they will figure it out. What's the right, I'm not gonna prescribe how often and what's the hour. This is not, we're not babysitting anybody. We are finding leaders and I, I, leaders I, will lead the way. I love it. I often tell clients, the sooner you look for adults, interview adults, hire adults, expect adulting behaviors and treat them like adults, the sooner you can get out of the babysitting business. And way too many people you and I meet are in the babysitting business. So my final question of you is one of uh, looking in your past for growth opportunities ahead. If you knew 10, 15 years ago, some of the things you know now, what's the top two, three pieces of advice you'd give yourself? Oh, my God. Uh, look, so... You, you mentioned something uh, about, you know, what do you do when, you know, somebody is not performing? This is hard for me. And I keep telling myself because it, it we get emotionally tangled and mentally we build relationship and stuff like that. And it, it's hard to make those decisions. And I suffered my fair share making those kind of decisions. Um, and I continue to, you know, uh, keep telling myself how to, how to do it better. Mm. Uh, you know, so, but look, I, I made way too many mistakes for you and me to talk about it, uh, here in last one minute. Yeah. Uh, we'll need one day and marathon <laughs> sessions where I can tell you. For, for, for <laughs> our audience, mistakes. that's true with every entrepreneur, right? If I had, a, if I, it would be an entire book or separate book by itself of all the mistakes we made, but it makes me, you and John and a lot of our other audience members were entrepreneurs. Gail was kind enough to jump in with her comments. I think that much more resilient. Uh, for our audience, you've been listening to Manuel Khan, founder and CEO of Field Nation. Manuel, thanks for the time. Thanks for your insights and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Thanks, Nora.